Turn me up. Turn me up, P. What is up guys? It's Trey Johnson here with episode two of Swimming with Sharks. I am more than excited for y'all to hear from the leader of 212 Nation, a millionaire vet in the industry and someone that does not settle or become complacent with life. So take notes and come into the Shark Tank with me, Dylan and J-Rod. So 70 million over the past seven years, eight offices. Yeah. And um, obviously looking to open up at least one next year, um, at least one new location. We used to hang our hats on opening locations, meaning that that was kind of your badge of honor. Right. And it's, it's not the way it is. I would rather have 70 million in one city if I could. And the only reason that, that we have to open locations typically is because of knocking power. You know, because we will send about 30 reps per million uh, million uh, population. So, yeah. So the, 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 the problem there is that when you have uh, a city with, let's just, Omaha is a good example. Mm -hmm. There's a million people I can fit 30 reps there. Maybe 25 or 23 by the end of the summer. Right. And when you, you, you would love to have all, you know, you'd, I love Omaha. I love the doors there. I love the people there. I would love to have a $50 million bustling business there, which is not realistic because you can't get that many guys knocking. So we used to hang our hats, our hat on like, let's open a location, let's open a location. Right. And now it's not that way at all. We, we want to see how many people can we put in a city? How many door locks can we put in a city? The only thing that limits us is doors, not as doors, you know, knockable doors really. Mm -hmm. So we, I'm doubling down. So we had 300 guys show up to market last year. Uh, I think we'll have 600 show up to market this year and only open one city. So that's, yeah, we, we've, we've learned our lesson there. Right. Yeah. Of, of that 600, how many guys do you think will finish? We're really good these days at, at, at deciding who should and shouldn't come out with our, with our preseason program. So I'm hoping 500. Yeah, it, you know, guys always talk about their retention rates or whatever. Uh, the reason that our, we've cut more guys than the average, I think we've cut more guys than the average company does, and it's because we have a higher level, we have a higher standard. And so when you have a higher standard, you cut more guys. Um, you know, you don't have those guys that come back and are begging or, or getting one because then when that happens, you have the entire team feels like that's okay, like zero and mm -hmm. ones are normal, you know what I mean? So we'll cut a little bit more, but then our per reps will go, will be significantly higher, yeah. Than, yeah, than everyone's. Own. So I, I want to ask you about your morning routine because, I mean, obviously seven months ago you didn't look like you look now. So yeah, sure. you've been doing something. Um, so tell us a little bit more about that. Oh, man, I think everyone wants to be fit, no matter what anyone says. You know, it's just we like food too much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Crush a donut. Um, but after 32 years, uh, it was just after New Year's, I was sitting in my hot tub with my wife, and I was just, you know, 215 pounds, soft. And you, especially when you, when you lift, you feel okay about that because you kind of feel bulky. Mm -hmm. uh, and, like, that's okay. Uh, but I just said, you know, this, this year I want to run a marathon. This year I want to have a six-pack and... I actually want to see some veins because I'm go. sick of being so yeah. fudgy. So mine was, mine's pretty simple. I wake up at 6.30, get to the gym, um, and uh, I come back and I, I listen to books always when I'm at the gym. I'm not social at the gym because that's when I get my, my books in. I know a lot of guys like to have like their nook that they sit and read and drink their coffee, but that's not what I do. Um, I, was, I, I get my books in either listening uh, at the gym or reading on planes. I took 85, I've taken 85 flights this year, so Sheesh. I like to open a book on a plane. Uh, then I'm back to take my little girl to school at 8, uh, and then uh, I'm back for breakfast and then office by 9.30. So that's my current routine. Uh, but, you know, I think we try to complicate it. We try to have, like, this unlimited mindset where we can – be strict on our eating we can be strict in the gym we can be strict with our cardio we can be strict with every single thing in our lives and i love the the grant cardone 10x we can always do more and we don't want to say mm -hmm. limiting you know limiting stuff to ourselves like i can't do but there is also a um i like building up so over the last uh, so for seven months i didn't hit the, i didn't lift a weight um, the only thing that I did is I tracked my calories on my Apple Watch and I made sure I was 800 to 1,000 deficit a day while making sure I ate 2,200. I'm not trying to under-eat by any means. but right. So I was, just at, I was at a calorie deficit. I still am, but I was for now eight months, but a strong, really high calorie deficit for, for 
between six and seven months. And so, yeah, I lost 40 pounds of fat. We're feeling better than ever. Yeah, there you go. Little little, little consistency. It's funny. We, I think we overestimate what we can do in a few weeks or a month, but you look back on six or seven months of being really strict, and you're pretty proud of what you do, you know? Yeah, there you go. Do you have a – so – with where you're at now, do you have a, a goal or that you're still trying to reach or are you just trying to maintain where you're at at the moment? Well, I want to place in our top three in our um, in our transformation challenge for overall physique. For anyone who doesn't know, we have two categories. You transform. So you either go from you know fat to fit or whatever. Um, and then there's another category where you don't submit it before a picture. You just see who looks the best at the end of it. And so I'm going for top three in physique. So what I've done is um, I got to where I wanted to be. I got to 177 pounds and from 215, and then I started lifting again. So we're on a strict macro diet, a strict <laughs> macro count. We're going to get as big as we can in the next 100 days. I love it. So that's it. Because I, th I think that's a thing that was funny. I'm like, like you said, you're 32. I'm 22. Just you know, you got a 23. And it's like we, we look at you, especially with the whole leading from the front. Uh, I think our company does such a good job at that. Yeah. But we look at you and we're like, how can we let a 32-year-old look better than us? Right. So, yeah, you know, we got to keep working. Yeah. Well, I, uh, when we preach that kind of stuff, I, just didn't, I was feeling uncomfortable talking about transformation challenge and not looking good. You know? Right. So it comes a point where you've you got to kind of lead from the front there. But that's the thing, too. You see all the CEOs, you know, they, they look like you. Yeah. yeah. Well... Healthy body, healthy mind. You definitely work harder, faster, better, more efficient when you feel good. So, um, you know, way back when, how did you how did you originally start in the door to door industry? We've uh, it started. I was going to a little college, and my roommate sold pest control. And I looked at all the industries, and I actually decided on alarms. So I went out and sold the original alarms back in 07, not home automation, mm -hmm. just a few sensors on the doors, some glass breaks, you know. Uh, Motion detectors, whatever, would go sling thirty nine ninety nine three year deals, and so I did that in Indiana when I was eighteen, and that was uh, I mean that was life changing, you know. I went to my pops uh, and I was like, I'm gonna go knock doors for four months. <laughs> he told me some stories about his sales, you know. He used to sell hearing aids door to door, so about what he uh, kind of ran into. Um, so we did that for a summer. And then uh, got into pest control because my buddy Mike uh, started a uh, pest company in California. Mm. And so, you know, especially the town, we're not, we weren't married to anything. I don't really care what we sell. We were just following people. Right. He, was he was an amazing leader. He had a great group. So I uh, went out to California, worked with him for five years, and then decided I wanted to go. Uh, I was going to start my own. I tried to get gains to sell EcoShield in 2013. At the time, he only owned two branches. And combined Tola, they were doing $3 million a year wow. in, in new revenue. So I was trying to get him to sell his Indiana and his Chicago branch. It's funny to think that, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he said, well, I'm not going to do that, but uh, I do want to work with you. you got to come meet Doug and Greg, the founders. And so we, at the time, actually, I was trying to decide whether I want to do real estate or stand door-to-door. -door. My mentality was always I would commit for a year at a time. I, would, I was in the industry like I was going to be in my whole life, but I would only commit a year at a time if that makes sense. Mm -hmm, right. Right? You work your ass off as if you're going to do it forever, but you do have to you know, reflect a little bit and say, do I want to still do this? So at the end of August, I would always do that. Do I want to still do this? And I was actually going to transition into real estate. And, um, and me and Gaines have been buddies for years, and he, we were just chatting one day, and he's like, dude, you remind me of uh, a guy I knew in college. Um, he was a... Uh, he won an, a national championship. He was a freak athlete, and um, he uh, he had he could go to the NFL if he wanted, but he decided not to because he was tired. And uh, he's like he's like you've been working your ass off and you've been getting paid okay, but you're about to take it to the next level. You put all the work and all the time and your expertise is here, and you're going to go do real estate. He's like you have to at least see this out for ten more years. If you see this out for ten more years, you can retire and go do real estate. So I took that yep. advice. And here we are, fast forward, not even 10 years later, and you're doing a bunch of real estate yeah. since we since the season ended, really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we just popped open a few Airbnbs out here. And, you know, it's just nice to – I like to uh, dabble not because of necessarily passion or because of anything else. It's just that you need to put your money in something. I'm not gonna, mm -hmm. Money's not going to be in the bank. And I have some, some money in uh, just like everyone in Robinhood and stocks and things like <laughs> that. You know, I'm diversified in that way. But – I like to be able to feel it, 
Yeah. You know, I like the tangible nature of, of, of real estate. For sure. And so, but also I don't want to take any time off from EcoShield, so I have a property manager. Shout out to B-Dog, Brett Trapnell. B-Dog, wants yeah. to use I love it. it. He's the boy, yeah. Shout out to B-Dog for the premium services. That's right, really. premium services, yeah, but he takes care of the real estate. So I think it's also important if you're going to dabble, it can't take your your eye off the prize, you know. Keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah, you got to keep the main thing the main thing. It's like anyone, anyone great can't start to dabble. Like you don't hear about, I guess the, a good example is like Shaq. Mm-hmm. You're a Shaq owning all these like, you know, pizza franchises and Starbucks and Magic Johnson owning, you know, uh, a few professional teams and, you know, all the things that they do. You didn't hear about that during their career. Yeah. They, they, they couldn't really have done both. You can't be a great. So I, I purely do it because I don't want my money sitting. Yeah, makes sense. Do you think going year by year early on in your career slowed down where you could be? Because I, I know I've talked to Dylan. He was saying – you know, from year one to year two, he wasn't really sure if he was coming back. Yeah. You know, that slowed down his recruiting, you know, what he could have done year one. Do you think – I know obviously you said you were taking it like it was your everything, but in the back of your mind knowing in August you're going to realize, do I want to keep doing this? Do you think that slowed you down any? Uh, I think that the only reason it slowed me down at all is because my goal from day one wasn't to own one. If my goal would have been to own one day one – uh, then I think I would have exploded, exploded in a different way. But the fact that I thought I was just going to stay in management because I didn't think that I wanted to own in my old company, it was, it was a bit of a turnoff to own. They wanted to keep us in management. Not in a bad way. It was, there was a lot of money in what we were doing. But that was kind of the direction that we were pushed. And so we felt like we were doing the best we could do at the time. Yeah, but if I had started EcoShield in 2010, I'd be, I'd be in a different spot now. But that's, that's the way it goes. Yeah. And I'm not you also back. never know. You also never know. Maybe I wouldn't have met the right, you know, the same people that I met. And I think about that with my wife. I've, I was looking back at a few of the connections and then the connections I made because of the connections because of her. And I think if I wouldn't have married her, I also, I don't think I'd be the company. And I wouldn't be where I'm at. You just never know. You know, right. you make steps and snowball rolls. And that's the thing, too. You know, you, you know, being in a whole different part of your life, you know, being 10 years older than us, yeah. you know, how do you, how do you think your wise changed? You know, obviously when you were our age, you were, you know, young, trying to get it, but you know, now having kids, you know, how do you think your wise really changed? Well, it's a, it's a weird thing because I feel 22 still, you still feel that way, but then you you wake up and you realize that you have, you know, you got kids and responsibilities and, um, it's, it's significantly different because I, my motivation early was I wanted to be young money. You know, I wanted to, you know, drive a Rover and, you know, be able to afford whatever I wanted to afford and kind of have that status. And it's not that way at all. I mean, I'm, I'm embarrassed to post my pictures on Instagram. I don't want, <laughs> you know, family or friends or whatever to think that I'm, I'm bragging about it. Um, I'm actually inspired by a few guys to do a little bit better about that in a humble way. So the recruits can see it and the people can see it. You know, they want to see that kind of momentum. Uh, but the why is significantly different because I just want to retire so I can be around the little the little kiddos and uh, and so the the why I know that's it's pretty cliche but when you have kids you and they can say things like you know daddy daddy where are you going and you're like I'm going to work and she's like okay well when are you coming home mm-hmm. you know and or she's so excited or so sad when you're either coming or going so um, I just really want to be in a place in my early 40s where. Uh, I don't have to answer the phone. So not everyone's like this. You know, a lot of guys want to go make a billion, and that's not my goal. My goal is $50 million. So when I'm at the $50 million mark, I'm not saying I'm going to retire from EcoShield. I, you know, you can never know what you're going to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I want to be in a place where I have $50 million working for me out in the market and in real estate. And so I don't have to pick up a phone call at 42. You know, right. I can take my kids to Costa Rica for a year to learn Spanish. I can, uh, you know, we can travel around the world for a year, do homeschool. Uh, we can make those memories that, you know, a lot of people don't get to make. Mm-hmm. You know, we can charter a, a yacht to go around the Caribbean for a month. And, you know, it's a balance. How are we going to teach the kids, you know, how to be humble and do some great things? But I, I think we can do it. Right. Uh, but that's that's the why. That tr- truly, that's the why. I, I want to grind my ass off. We, we, we've said for years that if you grind in your 20s, you manage in your th- uh, you grind in your 20s, you build in your 30s, and you manage in your 40s. So I plan on sticking to that. There you go. Um, well, I mean, that was I, I love the answer, obviously. Like, because at the end of the day, the coolest thing about what we do, in, in my opinion, is just the time you get to spend with people that you care about and, um, and want to be around. So, yeah, um, 
at the end of the day. And what I've learned since, you know, being a manager and partnering in is just, like you said, the amount of phone calls you do have to answer, the amount of texts you'll get from here, just having, you know, random questions here and there. And so um, at the end of the day, having the time plus having the freedom to not really have to necessarily worry about that's huge. So um, my, uh, the next thing I want to ask you, so if there was an 18, if you're, if there's an 18 year old listening to this podcast, um, maybe interested in the door to door industry, EcoShield um, in general, what would you, what would be the one thing that you would want them to hear being that you've, you know, been in here for, or been in the industry for so long now? Uh, a few things. I think that anyone who feels like they can do it, I think they're crazy not to. I think that, that's one. Um, and, and that's because people don't realize what you get when you go knock on 10,000 doors in the summer. It's a social incubator. You know, you're out there and you're managing per- different personalities. A guy, you know, in a suit rolls up in a Tesla, you have to manage that personality. And a mom pulls up in a minivan, you got to manage that personality. And, uh, you know, an older lady, retired guys, or whatever it is, you know, different personality types. And a lot of people think, oh, I'm social enough, I can handle it. But it's kind of like this. You know, a, uh, a great, you know, like a Kobe is going to be naturally gifted at, at hoops. Just now he can pick up a ball and he's going to be fairly naturally gifted. But it's not until you learn the language of basketball by practicing it do you really understand every situation. And then you speak the language. And then you, that, that huddle is a different conversation. You know, it's broken. It's broken. You, you, know, you would never hear in a huddle. I know, Trey, you guys have both played. I guess all, you th- all three of you have played college sports. Those conversations are calculated conversations, right? Yeah. And so I want what a guy needs to realize, guys and gals need to realize, is that uh, conversations, interviews, being interviewed or interviewing, um, and most business transactions are calculated. No one just shoots from the hip because I'm good at talking to people. It's a calculated conversation. So what you, the skill set that you get is you learn how to be calculated while being sincere. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you can do that in stressful situations, the power of persuasion is with you and it's on your side. And so that's what you get. Secondary to that, to that, obviously you get the money. And then I think why, you know, that's why they should do it. It builds, right. you know, it's a springboard. And they might stay with us and they might make hundreds of thousands or millions and they might retire from EcoShield and that opportunity's here, but it's a springboard to what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Then I got a riff on why us. It's, it's our training by far. I mean, the 150 page training manual, the dozens and dozens of videos online. The hundreds of hours and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars we put into training material, hundreds of thousands for sure. Um, no one has it like we have it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm 100% sure of that. I, you know, And uh, I, I love hearing stories about other reps who were with us and then they, even though it's illegal, I hear them talking about using our manuals <laughs> to train their guys secretly. I've heard of people using our press sheet. Yeah, yeah, too. yeah, yeah, because and, no one anchors like we do. Right. No one, like they want to know how do you charge like we charge. Mm-hmm. No one can say that we weren't the best at, at, at contract value. Right. And the training is subjective, but the material is totally objective. Like we are the first, I don't know if the only still, but for sure the first for the last seven years that, you know, we've done live training videos. How do you get good at something? You watch it for real. I don't want some BS video about you knocking on your mama's door and selling her fake pest control. No one wants to see that. Right. I want to see live interaction. So we blur out customers' faces because we don't want to have to knock and say, hey, do we want to be filming you? Mm-hmm. Blur out customers' famous faces to preserve their privacy, and guys get to see real interactions. Dozens and dozens and dozens from the best in our company, who in turn are some of the best who have ever done it in our industry. So, there's a why do it, and then there's a you know there's a why us. It's you know obviously a little different, right? And on top of that, I think you know a lot of first years you know will obviously be a little skeptical beforehand. How important do you think it is for them to come out to preseason? see somebody sell, yeah. get on the doors, you know, and do it themselves. Yeah, they're skeptical because they were taught to go to college and get an hourly job and, you know, kind of work for the man and work their way up and climb the ladder and retire in the 65. And we, we know that, we've heard that. Uh, or they're skeptical because their parents would say door-to-door is a dead thing. You know, gr- old grandpappy sold Bibles door-to-door, you know, in the you know 50s or whatever it was. And so uh, it's imperative that they come into preseason. I, but the first message is, is that there are uh, multiple billion-dollar door-to-door companies. Uh, you know, we, we'll collect $168 million this year, which puts our evaluations in the hundreds of millions, mm-hmm. and 91% of our revenue is from the doors. And so first, it's a legitimate way to do business. Uh, that, that's number one. And number two, you'll see that when you come to a preseason, right? You'll see, potentially, you'll, you'll come to this office. Actually, this is the one where you do trainings here. Then you, we cut you area. 
Uh, we use sales routes with it, which is a multi, it's a, I think it's a $200 million business now, which shows you all your stats. It shows you your doors knocked, right? It shows you all that stuff. So, I mean, the advice is, is, uh, you know, don't be skeptical because it's get, it's not get rich quick. And it's, uh, it's make a lot of money the hard way is what it is. Yeah, I, I think that I, I agree hundred percent. Getting a guy to preseason is just, I, I just can't imagine going out to my first year in LA and already having three or four sales because I had been to, you know, a oh, couple yeah. of preseason. Yeah. It'd have been a game changer. It w- it'd be nothing new. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, and I remember, I remember Trey specifically, we were in Dallas for your first preseason yeah. and it was it, right after you saw me get one. You were like, "All right, let's go." And and you know, just yeah. like seeing 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 it happen is is the biggest thing. Whether it was because I remember my first experience was with Cy and seeing him close his for you know, close a person and sign them up. I was just like, "Okay, this is real." It, it's um, so whenever you get a guy to preseason and he has all those thoughts during uh, you know during the off season in March rather than in May, and he can focus on just making as much money as possible, making as many sales as possible, rather than is this even real? Yeah. So the other thing is like, uh, with me specifically with our, the market that we recruit out of, when guys come to an office and they see how, um, how one, how serious we take it, but two, how organized it is. And you know, the fact that we have stuff like sales routes and, um, you know, and everything's super organized. They, uh, they just can't picture in their head, like how a door to door thing could be so organized Yeah. and, um, so put together and stuff like that. And that was with, a one of the bigger things that I got as far as feedback from my guys this year was like, I just couldn't believe like how, one, how big the company was, but two, how, um, how serious and how organized it was. And just like, we had all our gear all ready for us, you know, and all, all that type of stuff. So, um, you know, we're in a good spot at the end of the day. So. Yeah. The, the, the skeptics are, are funny. You know, people are always skeptical of anything that's, that's, uh, seems great. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I just read uh, the biography of of Elon, and uh, so it was just it was a, a journalist who came to and met him several times over coffee and wrote all about um, you know his from from going from South Africa to Canada to the States, talked about his journey in Silicon Valley, talked about how he leveraged 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 because money didn't mean anything to him, mm-hmm. you know, and there's skeptics. There were skeptics all along the way. He was one of the first to create one of the first mapping uh, apps yep. or technologies. It wasn't an app at the time, you know, like Google Maps work today. He sold that. I think he made $10 million off of it, you know, pushed that all in into PayPal, made his $100 million off that or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Yeah, like so, 180 Yeah, pushed that all in into, into Tesla and all in into SpaceX. And, you know, I know we talk about him a lot, but it's hard not to. You know, he runs only one of two of the car companies in America that hasn't gone bankrupt them and Ford mm-hmm. and he talks about how, how hard it is and he said he never says it with a smile he says it with a lot of so, it's like a solemn tone because what he went through you know and the haters and the skeptics and the, the lawmakers and everything so I think that the you know I don't know what this podcast is going to be all about but if it can just in general be you know you have to carve your own path you have to make your own way in this world and, yeah. and to do that you have to take risks and you have to have some courage to say well screw you i'm gonna do it anyway right it just so happens that we sell pest control door-to-door which isn't sexy right which which to a degree we kind of like because you know i think that's we got in early and uh because other other guys didn't want to do it the way we did it and i think that's why we're dominating and honestly you know being you know the closest to just finding out about this you know not even knowing about the industry for 12 months yeah I, i think for me just where we grew up like, I, I didn't even know door-to-door existed. So how, how do you think, you know, not knowing about the industry, you know, say, say you were talking to a guy, it was their first time, they were like, what, what is door-to-door? Like, obviously, they know salesmen, but, yeah. like, they've only seen a door-to-door salesman selling, you know, vacuums on the TV, yeah. you know, in the 50s in black and white. So how, how would you explain, you know, the industry to someone like that? That's a good question. I think simply put, it's uh, knocking on doors and sales in general. Sale, there's a few different types of sales. And, and the first thing is not to get it confused with uh, a pyramid type sales where you have to buy in and pay a monthly fee and actually receive a product to your house and try to get people and make money by getting other people in the door to get other people in the door to get other people in the door. We are a true direct um, 
a direct sales company. So we're, we're set up like a car lot. It's the same thing. I've, my cousin has run several car lots and you go in as a car salesman, then you get promoted to a, a manager and then you get promoted to a desk manager and then do a GM. And, uh, the way you make money as a, uh, uh, you know, on a car lot is selling cars. You're, you're making five, usually it's 500 bucks a car. When you sign for Hyundai and Lexus, that's what it was. Five bills a car. And the manager then would also get a bill a car. So he's going to make a little money off each car, right? An override. He's going to get a rip on the car. And then guess who else gets it? The desk manager and the GM gets his bonus based on cars sold. And so ours is the exact same way where so the, uh, the best um, lot managers have the best and the most salesmen and if they're really good at hiring, then they'll, they'll hire from other, for other locations and they get rips off of those guys. And so ours is the exact same way. So that, that's first is, is to combat the fact that just because we knock doors and just because we recruit that we aren't a direct sales model. It is. There's nothing weird about it. You sell a product, you get paid a commission. As a manager, instead of, instead of paying our manager salaries, and to motivate them instead, we just pay them a little piece off of every sale that their guys recruit. If, they were, if we were paying them a salary, it wouldn't seem like um, – uh, uh, it wouldn't seem <laughs> Why like, was your group? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and they wouldn't be motivated. But it would also seem like a little bit less pyramidy too if we just paid a salary. You know, but because we pay a rip, that's kind of the way guys view it. But it's not. It's a very – it's a direct sales model. So uh, we that, – that's the way we do it. We sell a product. You get paid a commission. If you recruit someone, you get paid a little commission off of what they sell. And um, that's it. And then if you guys want to stay here for the long term, we have a management program and then we have an ownership program if you want to get in long term. It's, it's, it, it's similar also to a franchise model where you hear about guys that they ran the cashiers at McDonald's. Actually, true story, one of my best buddies, his dad uh, in the 70s um, was a busboy at Pizza Hut in Kansas. No, sorry, 80s, early 80s. And he worked there for 10 years. And by 1996, he owned 126 Pizza Huts across the wow. U.S. Yeah, and uh, he sold them in the '90s, and then started uh, Lone Star Barbecue. He found one Lone Star. Lone Star. He found one Lone Star Barbecue in Kansas, bought it, franchised it, and he took 190 of them public. Wow. Yeah, so it, it kind of reminds me of that where you start knocking doors, and then you can manage right, and then you can eventually own, and then get a piece of the piece of the pie. So, right. uh, you know, those stories happen, and we see them happen before our eyes every day. You know, here at the Shield Co, we had 22 more owners join the group, which is essentially saying we grew our business by 22 franchisees in, in another way. It's mm-hmm. kind of a way to look yeah. at it, you know? Um, so uh, we've talked about your future a little bit. Uh, if you, you know, five years from now, um, if you, you know, cut your, because we, we talked about, you talked about 10 years. If we yeah. cut that in half, where are you going to be in five years? Um, I think we'll be doing a hundred million for sure a year in new revenue. Mm-hmm. So we'll have a few hundred million under management. And locations, I don't care. As few as it takes. Right. 100%. <laughs> as few as it okay. takes. Okay. 100%. As it takes to get there. Um, I'd like to have 40 partners. So I'd like to over double how many partners I have currently, how many owners I have in the group. Um, I think that we'll have, um, you know, we'll have some, some a lot of things that are new as well, like bigger recruiting offices and, you know, bigger and better everything. And, you know, personal earnings will be, you know, will be we're doing really well. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we've always, we've always done it smart. So we didn't buy this building. We leased it. And, you know, we pay like five grand a month for this. I put 65000 in the remodel. We sublease our, our corporate building mm. because we don't want to have to go spend, you know, tens of millions on a building. And eventually we'll get there, but that's just not our focus right now. So we're just trying to build the right way. And because we're 100% self-funded, we have zero debt. Zero. Right. right. And so when you're 100% self-funded, like, you know, beware of debt. Uh, to anyone who's looking at companies because if you have debt, it means you don't have full, full control. Mm-hmm. I think about my father-in-law, uh, you know, talking about how uh, during, you know, the, the Great Recession in 07, 08, how uh, businesses were calling in his commercial loans and that puts you in a really bad spot. And, you know, he's taught me a lot of lessons from that about how to leverage yourself the right way. And so we, we've been trying to do that where we have having zero debt is an incredible feeling because no one can tell us what to do or when to do it or what bills to pay or not to pay or when to pay a sales rep or not to pay a sales rep. We make this all, all those decisions in-house. So mm-hmm. where would I like to see us? Um, you know, hundreds of millions under management, with, you know, under, under me, but um, more lives affected, more guys retired. 
in yeah. a place where they could retire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, and then talking about future again, if you could, um, if you yourself uh, could be remembered for one thing, um, just whether whether it's people impacted or whatever it is, what would be that one thing? Be remembered, mm-hmm. for, yeah, for one thing. If you know, if anyone's read Seven Habits, you know, you, you always think about someone giving your eulogy at your own funeral. I've read it a few times, and I just imagine what that would be like. And uh, I had the honor of uh, speaking at my dad's uh, service, and because all six of the kids spoke, my brother gave his eulogy, and I was uh, one of the speakers to kind of talk about a piece of his life. And um, I highlighted him for always being around, always whenever we needed, you know, Mr. Reliable. And so I think if I, if I could do that, I'd be really happy with, you know, people speaking once I'm gone and remembering just to be able to say, you know, that guy was a reliable person. That guy did what he said he was going to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think if you can do that, then you're always there for your kids. You're there for the people in your, in their, you know, your life. And uh, I was actually inspired by Jimmy Rex this weekend. He came and spoke to yep. us. And something inspiring that he said is that he uh, always, always when someone's in the hospital, one of his friends are in the hospital, he's always there, always. Mm-hmm. He's like, it's the easiest thing to do ever. And he's like, and why wouldn't I be there? And because of that, it's a deeper relationship he builds with people. And so, you know, I, I just like to be reliable. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, let, me, uh, let me riff on that for one second. I know a lot of guys that want to be remembered for a legacy. I, I don't. I, I, the legacy is not what drives me. I don't care if my name is mentioned in a book or, you know, if I'm quoted places. I don't care about that. Okay. Yeah, I want my few hundred people in my circle just to know that I was there for them. And the, re- the reason is that if you focus on legacy, if that's someone's dream, good for you. But if I'm so focused on legacy, I really think that I lose sight of my healthy young years here. And that's why I don't want to work till I'm 50 or 60 or 70. I'll manage properties and we'll have things that we're doing because I want my kids to see work ethic. But there's a 0% chance that in my 40s I'm going into work every day. I love it. Yeah. That's, that's just my mentality. Yeah. But even then, you put the work in for 20 years, you know, up to that point to even, you know, be able to do that. Because a lot of people have to work until yeah. they're 70, 80, you know. Have to and want to. There's, there's, there's both. You know, guys have to to pay the bills because they – built a traditional way and there's the guys that don't have to but like want warren to. buffett yeah yeah and he he obviously loves what he does and i would love to see his schedule but <laughs> you know i don't want to go be worth 60 billion because of what you have to sacrifice in your own life mm-hmm. you know so so unless, maybe if you go the tony robbins route and you know feed a million people a year <laughs> or whatever it was it 10 million dinners or you know something or, uh, like meals that. a year or something if you dedicate your life to service, maybe that's a little bit different. 100%. Yeah. I feel like I know the answer to this question, but um, who's the most influential person in your life has, you know, has shaped your work ethic and kind of how you view the world and um, how, how you approach things in life? Yeah. Yeah, yeah the answer is easy. It's, 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 uh, it's my pops for sure. And, uh, you know, he ran a business. He never complained about getting up at five. He was always home by five, never missed a game. You know, when I said I was going to go do door-to-door, he, he wasn't, he didn't scoff or laugh or do anything. And I know, I didn't know at the time he had sold here in his door to door for a brief time, mm. but his mentality was do whatever it takes. So he was, his lifelong dream was to fly jets. Uh, and, uh, well, first it was to, ma- to make the majors and he didn't make the major. He played college baseball, then didn't make the majors. So then the second was he wanted to go fly jets. So he got his degree so he could become an officer at one of the Marines and flew F-4s. And after doing that for six years, he had two kids. He decided to retire so he could spend more time with the family because he, at the time, you'd have to go to Hawaii or you'd have to go to Japan or Germany and go leave the family for a year. Mm-hmm. And he didn't want to have to do that. So he dropped everything, his whole life's goal and mission, you know, and, uh, and you know, took an ad in the paper and started selling hearing aids. And, and so to be able to see, you know, my uncle reflected on that with me. He's like, you kids don't realize what your dad did for you. Mm-hmm. All he wanted was fly jets. And the fact that he just gave that up and, you know, had no problem doing that whatsoever for you guys so you guys could have a normal, stable life. And you probably didn't even know that that was his dream or anything growing up. No clue. And I know he flew jets, but I didn't know that he made a big sacrifice for us. I thought he just made a, Mm -hmm. you know, a a career change. Yeah. A career change for being an officer flying jets in the military selling hearing aids door to door? No one wants to do that. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, by, by far, you know, by far. It's, Look, it's, you're, so. you're knocking for old people. We've talked about that before in oh, trainings yeah. and stuff. Looking for the geriatrics. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're 40 and have money. 
you're not my guy. Right. And especially because, like, you know, being an officer, he knew what money he was going to make. Oh, and yeah. he was completely betting on, on himself, you know, yeah. going to go sell he hearing aids. He's like, you know, if I don't sell, my, my kids don't eat. What's crazy, too, is that he only had to do 14 more years and he would have retired. And then what they did, all of the guys uh, in his era all went and flew for United or American. Or the big, that's what they all did. And so he had that easy, not easy, but clear path to make a lot of money and to have a lot of status as well. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so when you, I guess when you live with someone for, you know, all growing up who made sacrifice like that and never complained, you, that shapes you. For sure. You know. And just thinking about it, you know, it just popped up in my head. It's like you said you took 85 flights this year. Yeah. You know, like even, you know, thinking about your wife, you know, the sacrifices she's making for yeah. you to be able to take care of the family. Can you just speak on that a little bit for me? Yeah, you got to find, you know, we joke, but it's not a joke. You know, we find every great man is a better woman. And, uh, you know, whatever your partner in life, whoever you choose that to be, uh, will help you or hinder you. Uh, for sure. So that's, that's just the advice. You know, my, I was lucky enough and I was also looking for a girl that could handle it. Uh, but lucky enough to find one and her dad was a, is an entrepreneur. So she knew what it took. She's also seen him lose it and make it, Yeah. you know, make it back. Yeah. And, uh, which it takes, he's a monster for that. And so she's seen, she's seen that sacrifice. So you, that's it. You know, you got to find someone that's going to push you and that's a conversation you need to have on before you make it official even. Like I'm not saying date one, but maybe like date 10 where it's, you know, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm going to work uh, a lot of hours and I'm going to retire young or semi-retire young, but you're going to have to get through this with me. You know, and I think that that has to be a conversation that's had. We talked about you and Avery, you know, you just moved in with your girl and she, you know, she, she's been a great support during the summer. Mm -hmm. A lot aren't, a lot aren't, you right. know, a lot of partners Aren't, aren't that supportive because they, they want you more than they want you to make it. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. They, should, they need to find someone who's going to work a nine to five and have yeah. weekends yeah. off and two weeks of paid vacation a year because that's what they want. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just not us. Yeah, for sure. So just your, your, uh, your advice there would be just communication on that type of stuff. Yeah, talk about it. Yeah. yeah. I, before I forget, I got to say this too. So uh, my dad, could he sold his business when he was 50 and he could have retired. And he decided not to um, and, you know, kept working because it's, it's what he wanted to do because he wanted to get a bigger house and have a better lifestyle for the family. And because we had six kids, we grew up in an 1,800-square-foot house. And it's not like it was like rags to riches situation. We lived at the end of a cul-de-sac and had a decent, you know, decent neighborhood. There was right. a park that backed us up. So we were really lucky, but still six kids in an 1,800-square-foot house is a lot. We all shared bedrooms, and it, yeah. it was just the, the way it was. But as soon as my dad could, he got us into something nicer, bigger, better. And, but that also forced him to continue to work. Right. So he and I talked, we've always talked about that. We always were like, was that wasn't worth it. You know, he says, you know, if we didn't have the bigger house and, you know, the better situation, we wouldn't have made the memories that we made. We wouldn't be able to house everyone on the holidays and everything. And the amount of, you know, events he's able to host because of it. And so he's like, you know, you, you do sacrifice for events and experiences. Mm -hmm. um, but if he knew he was going to die at 69, 10 months after retirement, I think he also would have done it different. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So that was another lesson he taught me in, uh, you know, without even meaning to. And that's that, uh, you know, when you, I think that we should all pick a number. And when we hit that number, I think we should call it. And that's not everyone's mentality, you know, and someone's going to listen to this and be like, what an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think maybe this person who says that doesn't know what it takes to get there too. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, if my dad, let's say, would have, or like j just me, you know, if I can, if I can call it an eco shield's in a really good spot or whatever, you never know what the future's going to hold. That's mm -hmm. in a decade. Let's say I was in a spot where I was 42 and I felt comfortable calling it and you're in a financial position where you can do it. I think that we should. Um, my old mentor said also though, that you don't want to retire, retire. He said that a few of his friends retired in their early forties so they could spend more time with their family. But since you, uh, his name is Jason Walton. So shout out to Walton if this ever makes it to him. Uh, but he owns Moxie. And he talked about how um, the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. And uh, so in retirement, if you're lazy in retirement, you're lazy with your family. Mm -hmm. So he said they actually would spend more time on the golf course than with their family after they retired. And so it actually hurt their relationship at home. And that was eye-opening for me. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you're going to call it, 
you don't call it to play golf, call it for the right reason if that's really why you're doing it, you know. So you still have to put all into your family or all into that next venture. But um, I was talking to one of my buddies. I think it's important for us to all pick a number. So if you feel like you can live on 20000 a month and with inflation in 40 years, if that's 30000 a month or 40000 a month or whatever it is, pick the higher number and get to it now. Mm-hmm. But don't live at that lifestyle. Live at a little bit lesser lifestyle so you can work your way up with inflation. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So start living on 20 but have assets that pay you 40 and so you can invest the extra 20, pay taxes or whatever with that extra 20, but then get to a place where you have built up enough. Like let's say if you're making 40 grand a, a month, let's say all your expenses are 15, so taxes and other expenses get you to 20, okay? So let's say your total all-in is 20,000 a month, 240 grand a year, but you're making 40 a month. That means you're able to put away 20,000 a month. That means you're able to buy just you know, on a simple scale, two houses a year at $100,000 down payment. So if you could do that in 10 years, you have 20 homes plus almost all of them are paid off at that point too, especially if you don't need the money that they're generating, you're putting that back into the mortgage. And so if you're making 40,000 a month in 20 years, you would also have 20 houses or no 40 houses 40, in 20 yeah. years, 40, yeah. 40 houses in 20 years. And I promise you, if you have 40 houses and 20 of them are paid off, you can also retire on that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> plus sure. you have the assets that, that's paying you the 40,000. Mm-hmm. And so I've, so that makes your retirement better and better instead of worse and worse. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys will be like, in my 401k, I have 2 million. Let's see how long I can last on that. F that. Build an asset. You've you got to build an asset during your working years that pays you a residual so then you can buy more assets with that so your retirement gets better and better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I really think we should all pick a number um, and then have just that be the decision for us. That's the deciding factor when we call it. And so, and so, just to, I mean, so you're saying obviously, but the money doesn't stop, but you basically stop just because you've already built something up that's working for you. That's right. So that way you, that way you have the the time to spend with family and, you know, whatever. So if, if you took that route too, like I, I could build a really simple plan. I've gone over this with some guys. Let's just take a decade. In one decade, a guy could start at our company and uh, within five years, he could own a, a profit sharing business that's actually, that's paying him anywhere from 10 to 40,000 a month. Okay, in five years, um, plus his own commissions. So over the next uh, five years, with that money he's making plus his commissions, he could easily buy two houses a year. That's 10 homes. So that means by the time he turns 30, if he started when he was 20, he would have probably 10 to 15 homes because those are generated income that he could also put into more houses. He could have 15 homes plus a fat eco-shield um, uh, business that's also paying them on a monthly basis. And you could get to the point where you could, obviously we don't want guys to slow down to the business, but you could manage it, plus have these other assets and you could could call it. You could also go another five years when you're 35 and you could just leave the EcoShield asset alone and you'd have enough, you know, you'd have enough in your real estate portfolio. So my point of all that is, I I just think that we, when we make money, we're spending it too fast. Mm You know, and we're not thinking when we're 30 what we're going to look like. Because if we all did that, we could all retire in our early 30s. Seriously. Yeah. Because that's really like a cheat code to life. Like it's like you 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 plan it out like that. Yeah. Think think about an 18 year old just graduated from high school. You know, if if he gets in, does that plan by the time he's 30, you know, he's been in the industry 12 years. He you know has 20 24 homes, and he's really able to grow the the whole asset pool. I'm going to buy my nephew a Turo. I'm going to buy him his first car and I'm going to see how he does with it because my whole family's been like, what's he going to do? You know, he's got his GED and let's see what he does. What's his next step? And, uh, you know, he might want to be an engineer. He might want to go to school. He doesn't know what he wants to do. And I just want to say, don't do any of it. You're, he's really detail-oriented. He's 17. As soon as he turns 18, I'm going to buy him his first Turo and see what he does with it. No. Because why not? If he, if he added to his Turo empire and he was renting cars, he could retire when he was 30 as well. Right. We'd have such a bustling business, you'd never have to worry about money. So sometimes it just takes a little push from the entrepreneur direction, you know, to get there. Yeah. And I was just thinking about how you said when when you came with gains, he only had like three million active. Yeah, three. Yeah, like, uh, three. He was doing three million a year, probably five million active. Yeah. Like that's that's a jump. He did like, hundred and one million this year. You know, and and even I'm saying just following him. Yeah. You know, a, a guy that has five million active, like that's a lot of money, but at the same time. 
I, I know Moxie was huge. Yeah. You know, how, are, are you, obviously you're glad you made the jump, but sure. that, that, I think that just speaks volumes to the type of guy Gaines is Agreed. for you to even want to make that jump. Cause, cause you took a risk. Yeah. I think you have to, you have to just bet on people and I bet on him. Yeah. I bet on his vision and, uh, he was the one that revolutionized contract value in our industry he was the one that revolutionized multi-year in our industry. He was the one that took competitions to a new level in our industry. No matter what anyone thinks, you can think that it was the gritter, it was Aptive, or it was Vantage, or it was any of these guys, and it's just, it just wasn't. Uh, you go look at our numbers, it, they just speak for themselves as far as all those, qual- all those quality metrics. Aptive was, it was and is still doing more revenue than us, but not the type of revenue we're doing. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I saw it in gains and was lucky enough to, to make that jump. Yeah, he's, he's a beast. It's nice to have a guy who has a, you know, a law degree and one of the brightest minds in our industry, you know, calling the shots. For sure. Um, so I want to end on two, two uh, questions just kind of outside of everything as far as EcoShield in the industry. But um, three books you would recommend to everyone mm. and anybody that, that uh, listens to this. Yeah. And then the, the second question is just uh, your favorite movie of all time. I know you said hey. you have a list of 50, so you got to choose one. That's tough. Uh, I guess let's. Uh, I'll answer the movie question. Well, the only reason that's tough is because we've got we've got a lot of genres. One hundred percent. So I've got a list of fifty. It's not ranked. Um, favorite movie. I mean, I I I have to give a few. Tarantino's best movie is Django. Okay. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Love it. It's unbelievable. Um, I think that. Leo's best movie was Inception. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, even though he was, in, he was in Django as well, but Inception is unreal. We got a Leo, th- Leo thread going on here. Um, and then I think of all the superhero movies, like the whole action trend that we've got going on, I think Batman Begins was just insane. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was revolutionary. Um, and... I, I'm actually going to grab my phone. I'm going to answer this question. <laughs> I love it. We just got to see if we, we got to pay homage. We, we just got to take a quick look. Of course. A lot of greats. If we're, gonna, if we're really going to pick one. Oof. I mean, Ocean's Eleven, Moneyball, Bleed for This, American Gangster. Gladiator. Loved Enzo. You have a funny one. You, know, you got, you've got Anchorman and Step Brothers. You're gonna beat it. <laughs> the Wolf of Wall Street, which is legendary. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. Oh. All right, I'm gonna change it up. I'm gonna say right now, my favorite movie. It was the last movie that was one of the two last movies I watched with my dad. I'm gonna go with Molly's Game. Molly's Game. Molly's Game. She ran. An underground uh, poker game uh, with some of Hollywood's elites, and the whole story's good. So we're gonna go with that now. There you go. Molly's game. It. You haven't seen it? Watch it. You a big poker fan? Oh yeah. I love it. Yeah, me and the boys put in our hours in high school. <laughs> set up in the back. Uh, set up in the back of our uh, our backyards with like I forget what they're called. Just like these little pop ups because we'd rain in Oregon once in a while. Thinking we were pretty cool, smoking cigars, playing cards, <laughs> all growing up. Okay, so uh, we got the movie. Now uh, yeah. three books. Yeah, three books. Number one, Green Lights. It's it's Mark. my favorite book I've read in the last few years. Uh, that's Matthew McConaughey's memoir. It's not a self help book. It's just a Matthew McConaughey life book, and he just can't help but to just to talk about lessons learned. Right. So you guys have, I think you guys have probably both read that. But yeah, it's a really good book. Green Lights, wild. It's the only book that I read back to back. I had to start over and read it again. Really? I love yeah, that. I've never done that. Only I love book that. I've ever done that with. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it's too good. Right. Yeah, it is good. No. Yeah, I started living a little bit differently. Yeah, oh, so I mean. Just it, more the way I wanted to do things, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, in the self-help uh, self, like a because you got to hit on that for because that's driven a lot of our book club. Oh yeah, as a salesman, uh, it's greatest salesman in the world by Og Mandino. Mm-hmm. Yeah, read it every day of the summer. So I mean, it's 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 unreal. It's it needs to be on our 
you know, our list of books. I think it should be canonized. It needs to be read in, in church, I think. Yeah, well, the problem with it, it doesn't fit in the book club because if you finish in a month, you did it wrong, obviously. Yeah, Just true. The, months, six months of the scrolls or whatever it right. is. Yep. Yeah, I would I would say those two. Uh, you asked for a third. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. We've got a lot of good ones. I know you oh, mentioned yeah. Seven Habits earlier. Seven Habits is really good. Um, that's a must read. It's a must read. If we're going to go four, I'll go Seven Habits and then Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Really? Yeah, okay. That's yeah. a really good one. I mean, it just talks about the spirit of an entrepreneur and okay. putting your ass on the line and doing what it takes and not feeling talented, but but just putting yourself in the right room with the right people and working hard enough, you know, and all the failures and the successes and the risks and I don't know, just all of it. And I think Phil is just a really good guy and the, you know, what he did for sports uh, and athletes. It's been pretty, pretty special. He, he actually spoke, he was, I think he was put in the NBA hall of fame. Um, I think that was a speech that I watched and, uh, he's like, I'm just so grateful to be a part of this community. And I, we never th- would have thought that when we made our tigers in the seventies that we'd be, we would have revolutionized basketball. Right. Yeah. And we, that I would be friends with Tiger Woods and, you know, the Tiger Woods and the LeBrons and the Michaels and all these guys that he was able to, you know, associate with. So, yeah, Shoe Dog, greatest salesman in the world, and, uh, and then Green Lights. You, you could read those three on repeat. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, I plan on reading Green Lights again, but I, like you said, I've never done the back-to-back like that, though. Yeah, the back-to-back's a special thing. You know you have a good book or <laughs> yeah. movie when you go back-to-back. Yeah. Let's run it back. Yeah. It's yeah. definitely one of those that I read each year, though. I have, like, two or three that I have to reread each year just kind of refresh your mind honestly and sell like Serhan was one was one yeah. of them yeah just finished yeah, so. Ryan Serhan's a monster yeah. yeah he takes I think he takes a lot of the risks that guys don't they're not willing to take you know right I love that he realized that in New York uh, that a lot of the real estate agents were meeting their clients at church synagogues mm-hmm. or uh, or the uh, the mosques like he, he you know he talks about all these religious like, right. these guys and like how did you meet these guys and he's like well I met them at church whatever church they're going to. And so he was, they were selling real estates to their, you know, their group. And he's like, what do I like to do? I like to work out. So I thought that was pretty awesome. Join three, three gyms. gyms. Yeah. 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 Boxing club and different parts of the city, right? You go to different, yeah. different gyms in different parts of the city. So I, I think, uh, since we're talking to a younger audience and a lot of guys here, I, you know, if you can take the risk and you're here and you're, you're grinding, I really think that the the gains motto of overestimating what we can do in one year and underestimating what we can do in five years has to be the principle. Mm-hmm. We all think we can make you know hundred, two hundred, three hundred grand our first year, but we don't really realize what happens when you work your ass off for year over year over year, year you know for five or ten years. Yeah, where you can actually be at. Yeah, where you yeah. can actually end up at. So have a bigger vision and don't spend all your money. And I know everybody wasn't able to hear your you know your speech a couple of days ago, hmm. just talking about. You know, like a lot of guys, especially in my generation, we don't like to read. We don't yeah. like to listen to books. Like, obviously, we know it's important. You know, you hear Warren Buffett reading five hours a day or, or something crazy. Yeah. You know, like, can can you just hit on? You know, you have time. Yeah, yeah, you have time to do to do the little things. You know, what I've realized is that when you make a commitment to yourself and you keep it, um, that's how you build your self worth. That's how you feel good about yourself. And uh, it's a little, you know, you get a little endorphin release. You feel good. Even when you check off a little thing on the calendar on the to-do, boom. I actually put a check mark on mine because I could feel the, the release. I'm like, ooh, that felt good. Uh, but you, you we, we have to do those things. We have to say we're going to do things and then we have to do them. And uh, you, you'll wake up energized every day waiting to do more of the things you said you were going to do the night before. So I told the 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 guys and gals that they needed to be. It was our management group. We had like 500 there in our, of our management group, big management group. And uh, I told them they needed to be scheduled, they needed to be epic, and they needed to be, they needed to be compelling. So if you're scheduled, you're willing to say you're going to do the little things and actually do them. You know, if you're epic, then you're willing to go actually go out and be epic. It's funny. I think of like you hear about like, oh, that guy's epic. He's epic because he decided to be. Mm-hmm. He wasn't born epic. And everybody knows what they mean too. They do. Yeah, yeah. Like, that guy's epic. And it's like, you look, think about that guy, and you're like, oh, yeah, he does travel the world, and he does jump out of helicopters, and he does hang out with the coolest people and rub shoulders with, you know, millionaires and billionaires. Like, he does do all those things. Like, we talk about Trey. 
like Trey's epic. You know, he was willing to get in the room with Chris Brickley and be able to train NBA players and dap them up and, you know, be in that circle. And it's a different language, right? right? 100%. Because you're willing to go do that. You know, and I think that Dylan's the hardest worker in the company. I really do. I, I Not just 212, I think that Dylan is the hardest, single hardest worker in the company. And, it's, you know, people just aren't willing to do it. So we have time to be epic. And then the whole compelling thing is if you do join the company, you need to open your mouth. You yeah, you're selfish if you're not. Yeah, you need, yeah. To, you need to be passionate about where you're at. Where you're at. So, yeah, you need to do the little things. You got to read. You got to work out. You know, you got to feed your brain. You got to feed your mind. You got to find some path of spirituality, whether that's you know praying or church or meditation, whatever it is, because you have a soul and you have to feed it. And so, you know, we we preach those things not because we're just blowing smoke, but because when we we haven't mastered it, but when as we've done them, we just feel so much better and we're so much more productive. And so we have a transformation challenge. We have a book club where our guys read two books a month. There's nothing better. When you're reading two books a month, those books are your conversation piece for the month. Aren't they? If if you're really into your books, yeah. That's what you talk about. That's how you find motivation. That's where you get smarter. I mean, that's why they say kids that read early have better vocabularies because they get to dive into these minds of these great people who put a book together. Yeah. We were talking about sweeping the sheds earlier when we were cleaning up the house. Yeah, cleaning your Airbnb. That's right. Yeah, sweep the sheds. You're not too good for anything. I love in that book some because all you guys know that uh, when I was 12, 13, 14, 15, I got autographs when I was young. So we would track down NBA players to their hotels and wait outside because they would leave to go to the game. They would leave to go to Nike Town and they would leave to go to shoot around. It was actually Nike Town shoot around game. So I'd have six chances in and out three different times to meet NBA players. And so I'd take the train down from Portland and I'd be able to, you know, uh, get autographs and stuff. I don't remember where I was going with this. Will we start with that? Uh, we were just talking about just the, the little sheds. things and sweeping the sheds and, yeah, and sweeping the sheds. finding that legacy. Yeah, so I so we'd get autographs as a kid, and we met a lot of met a lot of great people, but we did get dogged by some NBA players. You know, they're busy and they don't want to sign no. or whatever. You know, bodyguards. I mean, I remember LeBron when I was younger passed me pretty quick with his bodyguard. It is what it is. But in legacy, uh, you know, sweeping the sheds, the idea of you're not too good to do anything, and part of sweeping the sheds in the same category, uh, if you do a little Venn diagram, is that they need to sign autographs. He, mm-hmm. he touched on it for a second. You could have mm-hmm. missed it if you blinked. Oh. But it caught my ear, obviously, because when I was a kid, that was important right. to me. And uh, Damian Lillard and uh, C.J. McCollum called paying rent. Really? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yep. Uh, and I love those guys. are the boys. And C.J. is so passionate about signing autographs that when COVID hit, he actually tweeted because he wanted everyone to know, I'm taking a break from autographing for now. I just want to let you guys know because I'll keep my family safe. I do remember seeing that. That's how passionate he is about taking care of his of, of his people that wow. support him, got him there. So, you know, you got to pay the rent. So, you know, I think how that relates to us is you got to give back. You know, we 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 do a few things a year where we give back, but you got to find a time to give back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is we're way too blessed not to. Right. I have one more question, and I know we were almost done, but for all of the vets, the guys that are in here. Mm-hmm about doing the little things because you know a lot of guys just come out sell they don't recruit you know they they don't see the end goal like how would you you know tell them think about the long term because i think a lot of guys once they realize that this is a career this is a career path that can completely you know open my life yeah they they start realizing it but then they're three four years in and they wish what what if i would have done this year one Can, can you just hit on that just a little bit yeah, yeah, it's that kind of goes along with recommitting every year, and I, it, it's just that if you're going to do anything, uh, you have to go all in, expecting to do it for a decade. That's it. You know, I I see way too many guys. I don't care what it is, they start a business and sell it after three years, and they move on, and then they move on, and they're always looking for something new. And guys, it happens in our industry all the time. Guys will come from alarms and come sell this for two years, and then move on and go do something else. And it's like if you would have just planted your feet, right. Man, if you would have just planted your feet in whatever you did, it didn't matter. It didn't matter what it is. And so to the veterans here, you either need to start opening your mouth or you need to get, you need to move on. And, you know, a lot of people don't like that about the shield companies, about us, um, that we, you know, some guys think that we underpay our veterans. As far as the percentage goes, our top veterans who are crushing are making 
with cash bonus is probably 16, 70%. So it's still ridiculously competitive, right. but yeah. we're not the company that's going to offer any veteran who comes to the door 65%. We're just not going to do it. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because it's damning to the culture to have special people, to have these special guys that don't do the little things because the little things that really build our business is recruiting. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we're going to take care of a veteran or two or a handful of them. You know what I mean? But if you look around the company, people dog on them, but it, you, it's, you think it's by accident. You think it's by accident? We don't pay our veterans 70 and 80%. It's not by accident. Right. Yeah, it's because that those types of guys don't fit in. Mm-hmm. They don't fit in here. And it's kind of hard to hear for some guys, but it just is what it is. It's our culture. It's just a difference of, of models yeah. completely. Yeah, we force guys to build. We don't force them out. It's just that we're not going to give them a $20,000 signing bonus and 75%. It's just not going <laughs> to happen here. And, you know, we don't think that that's not being competitive. We think that that's being smart. Yeah. I mean, we're worried about running businesses over here. Yeah. So that's a big thing. So, yeah. Well, thank you for hopping on, Jay. Um, It's been a pleasure, obviously. And then, um, yeah, there we go.